Welcome to the BCP and Me, a podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I am joined here by Father Joshua Nelson as we continue our journey through the Book of Common Prayer. Welcome, Father Joshua, to the first episode of season two. Oh, you took it! You took my my pitch. <laughs> You say, guess what, Father Tyler? It's season two. You know, I'm sure everyone's been looking at the website and checking their streaming sites and going, where did they go? Because the last episode that we posted was way back in the month of June. uh, And then we sort of kind of unceremoniously dropped off the map. Well, you know how the rest of the world kind of takes a break in the summer? I've Priest, heard of that. Priests do not. It's uh, like Dame Maggie Smith's great line in Downton Abbey, what's a weekend? <laughs> well, I thought the common wisdom was that the Episcopal Church went on vacation during the summer. Uh, and as part of that organization, you know... Well, apparently, apparently we're not doing that anymore because I feel like we've been busier than ever. Well, where have you been? I know where I've been. Well, we uh, in the Diocese of Southern Ohio, we just approved, elected. You know, there was only one person, so I'm not sure. It's, it's kind of like a, a um, Cuban election, um, but a provisional bishop, Bishop Wayne Smith, uh, formerly of... Missouri is uh, going to be our provisional bishop as we um, stages and look for uh, who will be the next bishop of Southern Ohio. Um, so that's happened recently. That was, you know, all these wonderful Zoom conventions and special conventions over the internet and hoping the internet works and the internet doesn't work. <clears throat> that's where we're, we're coming from today. Uh, and at... Um, St. Peter's and Gal Police, we just finished the next phase of our kind of revitalization of our nave and hoping that, you know, kind of clearing away the cobwebs and getting that stuff all organized will invigorate us for new ministries this fall. How about you, Father Tyler? Uh, to your last point, yeah, sometimes you do have to clean out the cobwebs before a new ministry can take hold. I, I approve that message, and, uh, and it should be presented to all people as worthy for reception. <laughs> um, I can't tell you where I was for June. Uh, <laughs> rectoring one parish, I guess. Uh, June was a, was a very busy month for us as I was getting ready for July. Um, <laughs> And that, that sounds like a cop out, uh, but um, really, that's that's the most honest answer I can give. Um, you know, as we were transitioning back to one worship service, uh, we we merge our worship services here at St. Anne's from from a eight o'clock and a ten o'clock mass down to one single nine o'clock mass. So some of that requires, you know shifting gears, moving things around. Um, and just the typical day-to-day grind of, of parish life, with staff meetings and vestry meetings and all such things that are required for righteousness sake. 
um, really just ate up all of my June, not to mention, uh, not to mention just busy life at home. Uh, so I can't really tell you where I was for June. Um, July, I can tell you that I was not here. Uh, and by not here, I mean in the De Pere, Green Bay, Ashwaubenon, Swamico area. Uh, for the first uh, few days of July, my family and I were on vacation in Voyagers National Park, um, which is up near the Canadian border in Minnesota, um, way up there at the top of the world. Um, uh, and uh, there are parts of Canada that are further south than parts of the United States in that part yeah. of the world. Uh, the border does funky things up there. Um, I was going to say from there, most Canadians are actually further south. 60% of yeah. the population of Canada lives below that line of longitude. Um, so I was actually further north than most of Canada at that point. Um, and so that was July 4th. The week of July the 4th um, was up there. And then... Um, from July 9th until the 19th, I, brace yourself, was on retreat. Please don't swerve off the road. Please correct your course. <laughs> uh, Hold on, let me pick myself back up off the floor. Pick yourself up off the floor, straighten your collar. I realized that in five years of ordained ministry, I had not had a retreat that was simply a retreat. Oh, sure, there have been conferences and there have been continuing education events and there's been getting on airplanes to try to fly hither and thither um, and time away, but time away is not the same thing as going on retreat. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I was at Holy Wisdom Monastery under the care of the Ecumenical Center for Clergy Spiritual Renewal. Um, and I was there with um, Presbyterians, and I was there with Mennonites, and I was there with Delutrans and, um, and a, a group of 18 different uh, clergy people from various denominations that were there to be spiritually renewed. Um, and Holy Wisdom Monastery is an ecumenical monastery. They are outside the canon law of the, of the, of the Catholic Church, um, but they exist as a place of Benedictine spirituality. Spend 10 minutes in a room with me and let's talk about St. Benedict. Spoiler alert, you'll be there longer than 10 minutes. Um, and so... Um, we uh, so we it's a bit like in that aspect that it's an intentional ecumenical community. Yes, exactly. Um, there are there are a group of of sisters there that are all oblates of Saint Benedict's. They live at the monastery full time. Um, have given their life to monastic life. Um, after eleven days there, I have to admit it was hard to leave. Um, uh, there's something about uh, monastic life that 
that has always appealed to me. Uh, and living my life in a, in a Benedictine context for 11 days was very restorative. Um, in addition to family vacations and retreats, and this is something that I do want to talk about um, as we move into the second season and we really examine how the Book of Common Prayer and our lives of faith intersect. I was also grieving the loss of a family member who completed suicide. Um, and it's something that mental health, by this, I mean mental health, is something that doesn't get talked about enough. It's something that doesn't receive enough attention. And um, I, I think it's important that when these events happen, that we do talk about them, that we don't hush them up, that we don't say in whispered tones, oh, he, she, they, them completed suicide. Because it is something that happens to people, and it happens to people that we love and people that we care about. Mm. And um, so just as, just as a programming note, that's part of the context that I came out of in the summer, was living through another family member completing suicide. And, um, you know, Oftentimes in the wake of these things, we look back and we say, what could we have done different? You know, oh, if they had only known, oh, if I had only done. And I'm not sure that those kinds of reflections are always a great thing. Um, but I do think that we can take stock of the lives that we have lost, that we can advocate and we can work for greater access to mental health benefits and providing advocacy for those people who are experiencing those times of life when they feel um, when they feel suicidal ideation, helping people in what way that we can, up to and including directing them to resources um, that that work to to prevent suicide prevention, and and so. Uh, or work to support suicide prevention. And so here in this episode, I just want to give a plug for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. If you or anyone that you know is in that place in life where they're not sure what tomorrow brings, when they're not sure how to put one foot in front of the other, you're experiencing a dark time in your life and you're contemplating suicide, please reach out and give these folks a call or reach out to a friend and say, how say, I need some help. Um, and let's do what we can to help hold each other up and support each other and, um, and do a little more handholding instead of finger pointing. So. And, I think it's really important right now. I will say this, and I, you can edit this out if you want, but I don't think you'd have a problem with it. Both Father Tyler and I go to therapy. And here's a plug. <laughs> go to therapy. It's a wonderful thing. Um, not just if you are, you know, having suicidal ideation or, or that kind of thing, just for anxiety and... Um, mental strain from everyday life. Um, this coming Sunday actually is the two-year anniversary of my brother-in-law's death. He, he died in a, not 
by taking his own life, but in a motorcycle accident. But it was life altering for those of us in his family. Um, and there was a mental toll that went with that. And we're all kind of viewing it right now with like Simone um, Biles in the American gymnastics at the Olympics, choosing to step away from competition for her own mental health. Um, and she's getting a lot of grief about it and it is driving me nuts. Um, but I think this also kind of ties in well with today we're going to be um, remembering um, St. James, the apostle, and whose feast day has, has just passed. But when I think of St. James, I think of the Camino de Santiago, mm. which is this ancient pilgrimage across um, Europe, across France and northern Spain, to the city of Santiago, where it is said that the bones of St. James rest. And that journey for many people, that pilgrimage walk, um, for many people is a kind of therapy. Um, people go on it for penitence. People go on it to um, figure out who they are in this world and, and their place in this world and where God fits into that relationship or a higher being of some sort. Um, so I think contemplating St. James um, this one of these sons of thunder is, is, is really good for today. Um, Father, before we get into the proper liturgies, uh, shall we pray the collect for the day? Let us do so. The Lord be with you. And also with you. O gracious God, we remember before you today your servant and apostle James first among the 12 to suffer martyrdom for the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will pour out upon the leaders of your church that spirit of self-denying service by which alone they may have true authority among your people. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. So as we open up our prayer books again, uh, our leather-bound prayer books, we find ourselves in a new section of the prayer book to start off a new season. It's almost like we planned it that way without exactly planning it that way. In fact, one might even call it special. And proper, even. <laughs> we, of course, are talking about uh, the section of the prayer book that begins on page 263 that um, talks about proper liturgies for special days. Now, we talked some in pre-production, the part that you all don't get to hear, though for a small subscription fee, I'm teasing, um, but we talked in pre-production about how to tackle this particular part of the prayer book. Um, because in all honesty, it's not a very thick part of our prayer book. Uh, just a few pages involved here. Um, but 
there are services of great significance. There are services of great power and importance within this section of the prayer book that shape our lives, not only as Christians of an Episcopal persuasion, but Christians that observe liturgies like these um, around the world. Yeah, why not even say these, this small, tiny, thin section holds the most important service of the church year? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and so as we, as we begin our exploration of, of this new season of, of, uh, of our life on the BCP and me, and we begin to think about everything that has come before, and we begin to contemplate what comes next, it seems only appropriate that we begin our time together with the study of Ash Wednesday. Hmm. Ash Wednesday being that day on the calendar that Christians of all bents who observe the liturgical calendar look at and go, Oh my God, is it really when Lent begins this year? Or it's the day after we have been shriven of all of the flour and the sugar and the butter that is in our pantries. And we begin, or we have what many call the last blast before the fast. Uh, and, and we find ourselves on the doorstep of Ash Wednesday. All, all in a slight diabetic coma, um, usually throughout the rest of that day. Uh, you know, in many places, the tradition the day before, as you said, shroving ourselves of the fats and flours and sugars, it is Pancake Tuesday. Although I've, I've found that this isn't a universal everywhere. Not everybody does the pancake dinners on on uh, Tuesday nights before. Uh, of course, there's Mardi Gras. Yes. For those who partake and those who observe. Uh, <clears throat> way down in Mobile, Alabama. Not Mobile, Mobile. Thank you very much. Home to the oldest Mardi Gras in the world. It's not New Orleans. It's Mobile. They will fight you over this. In the world or in the United States? Well, probably in the United States. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is that whole French connection. Um, and so, um, so yeah, um, marking the beginning of the Lenten fast. And we should point out that this is one of those um, days of obligation for fasting. Yes, indeed. If we think back, all the way back, to the beginning one. <laughs> episode one, there are only two fasts that are appointed in the Episcopal Church um, for our use um, in general, and those are the days of Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Although there are some among us uh, who also during the time of Lent observe days of, of special self-denial on Fridays, when we don't eat meat. Yes, friends, fasting for meat on Fridays is not just for our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers. You too can fast for meat on Fridays. 
you too can help the the <laughs> paleo fish market. And there is a fish fry near you somewhere that some faithful Knights of Columbus are running uh, <laughs> to help support you in your journey towards holiness. Yes. So uh, as we turn to page 264 in our prayer books, uh, it looks for all intents and purposes when we look at it, it's really kind of a strange way the way it lays on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, the rubrics there say that the celebrant begins the liturgy with the salutation and the collect of the day. So bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. His mercy endures forever. Um, and the collect for us is printed right there on the page. And I love this. I love this collect. Even on the doorstep of Lent, even as we begin to contemplate our manifest wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed, the first words of comfort come in the opening collect of this service. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. Can we just stop right there? (laughs) We need to go on with the collect. But let's just stop right there at that statement. That's that, that, wow. Um, That should, it'd be amazing if you could say it in such a space. That should just echo for a few minutes before it continues. So let's try that again. Yeah. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. And forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. How different from the way that both you and I were raised in that this is a day that the world looks at and is like, oh, it's all about your sin and, and dying and death. Yet it begins with forgiveness. And recreation. Yeah, forgiveness is not the afterthought. Forgiveness is where God begins. Forgiveness is front-loaded. Yes. That- it is not... It is not fear-mongering, hellfire, brimstone. It is, you hate nothing you have made, and if you believe that God created everything, and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. It's not selective. Well, and, and the other part of this for me, geeking out, literature nerd here, and thinking about where this message comes from and the tense that the priest uses while praying this collect. 
create and make in us mm-hmm. new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness. This isn't someone standing in a pulpit with a Bible laid open on their hands. I have mastered the technique, though. (laughs) Preaching down at a group of believers saying, get right or get left, turn or burn. If you don't get your life right, or if you don't get your life right with God, you're going to split the gates of hell wide open. You probably know this, this rhetoric as well as I do. Yeah, I mean, I could never look at a handbasket the same. Does it have to be a handbasket? Um, but it's even the priest coming forward, standing between the altar of God and the people of God, praying in the presence of God, saying, forgive us and recreate us. Does it get any better than that? <laughs> that I mean, you could you could even, in a way, point this toward Yom Kippur with our Jewish friends and the high priest going in before the altar, but n- not so bold as to say that he has no sin. The high priest is has a rope tied around him in case he is struck down within the Holy of Holies so they can pull him back out, right? Right. Here the priest stands and says, I too am a sinner. Well, and and if we want to expand it out even further, even our Muslim sisters and brothers observe this period of fasting and this period of self-denial and and purification and denial of self and acts of, of charity and love. If you have never been to an iftar during Ramadan, you have not experienced love and welcome. I have, I have been, uh, I have been so lucky to interact with the Muslim community over my life and iftars. I, there's some real love that happens at an iftar. Uh, and that's that's the meals that are held during Ramadan when the community gathers to break their fast and to say their prayers together. For those of you who who don't speak Islam, um, um, and they're all about welcoming people in during those times. The same way we do with soup and salad suppers during Lenten series is we bring people in and say, let's break our fast with a simple meal and spend time together as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really encouraging to, to see that, but, but pointing it towards Rosh Hashanah, the, the, um, the precursor of our own faith of that time that we hold our hands up and, and do all of those things that you mentioned. Um, it's, it's important to, to loop those connections in. Well, and this this takes us back, I, th- I think, for a moment to Shrove Tuesday, where it's preparing yourself for this. The day before Yom Kippur, and I, I can't remember what it's called, but the day before Yom Kippur, you go and ask forgiveness of your neighbor. Right. You have to do that first before you can go and ask forgiveness from God. If we think about... If we think about... Uh, on the, the red or something like that. 
if we think about the scriptural um, sort of warrant for this kind of behavior, we can think about what Jesus said about going and making your sacrifice in the temple. You yeah. should leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be, you know, be reconciled with your sister or your brother and then come back. Um, definitely pointing us towards Rosh Hashanah, definitely pointing us towards that making all things right before we offer our sacrifice ostensibly of atonement. Yes. Um, and so that's, that's the way that we approach Ash Wednesday is this, this spirit of, of could we start again, please? Um, yes. And I Ew. think just found our episode title. Yes, um, which is oddly fitting for the second season of a of a podcast. <laughs> and and strangely enough, there we go back to musical theater with Jesus Christ Superstar. So, gotta weave that back in. Um, so after we have the the opening collect, and that discussion only took us twenty minutes. Um, we get doing Ash Wednesday today. Guess what? We're just doing this today. We get these wonderful readings from the Psalms that that call us back to uh, repentance, that call us back to remember um, who God is and and how God wants to create this new heart within us and wants us to be God's people again so that we can leave the old life behind and begin something new. Um, if you if you have your your Bible there in front of you and you know the geography well, you can turn to the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Or if you have a computer in front of you and you would like to Google this, um, the 58th chapter of Isaiah, the first 12 verses of that are all about fasting, are all about true fasting, true fasting. Now, look, let's just break it down to brass tacks here. Father Joshua, you push back whenever you're ready. If yeah. you're ready. You can give up your Skittles. You can give up your M&Ms. You can give up your coffee, though I don't recommend it for your mental health or the mental health of anyone else that you spend time with or live with. Um. You can give up meditation. I know the way myself. Exactly. You can give up your alcohol. You can give up whatever. But if we look at the sixth verse of the 58th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, through Isaiah, God says this. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? There's fasting. And then there's fasting. There's there's fasting to to put to put 
to disfigure your face and to put your sackcloth and ashes on so that the whole world knows that you're fasting. And then there's fasting your beach body in time for summer. Um, but true fasting and it is not true fasting in the sense of Isaiah is not necessarily something that you can give up by yourself. Right. It is something that we have to give up together. Yes. The bonds of injury um, and insecurities. And those are communal things. This is a communal faith. This is why really we need to come together for Ash Wednesday. It's why we use it, it, it's why we're using the pronoun we out. Yes. It's it's not it's not just about our individual sins, though there's plenty of that to go around. Mm-hmm. It's about who we are as a people standing in the presence of God. Um so and, and this Isaiah will gets Jesus is pointing back to Isaiah in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. That too is all about a collective faith. Right. Not individualism. We need to, one of our greatest sins in the modern era is the sin of individualism. Amen. Um, (laughs) Christianity well, let's let's talk locally about Christianity first. Christianity is not something that should be attempted on one's own. It's not designed to work that way. It's dangerous um, to be alone. Um, it's it, it can quickly lead to a place of pride, and pride cometh and then the fall. Um, uh, you need other Christians in your life. Um, to do this faith well, I think. Um, And I say that as a duly ordained priest of the Episcopal Church. But if we step back from our Christian context and look at this from a more anthropological perspective, by and large, generally, people are built for community. Yes. If the pandemic taught us anything, it's that we need each other. Uh, We depend on each other. We are still learning the lesson that the actions of one person can affect entire communities of people, um, good and bad. Um, I won't get on a COVID-19 rant here, but it's important to think about it, that we all are in this together and we need each other. And we need each other. Um, so after after a sermon, uh, which, if done well on this day, is brief, because the liturgy says a lot, yeah. we get the bidding. Uh, and I don't mean the price is right, you know, showcase bidding. <laughs> um, we get I'll take pence and one cent thank you very much one dollar um, the priest again stands in front of the people 
or the celebrant or the minister appointed invites the people to an observance of the Holy Lent. And it's on page 264 and page 265. I, I will not, uh, well, maybe we should read it. Uh, it won't hurt us to read it. The, the bidding uh, reads, Dear people of God, the first Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. This season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. There was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. Thereby, and this gets to your point, Father Joshua, the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and of the need which, wait for it, all Christians continually have to renew their repentance in faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to the observance of a holy Lent. By self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. And to make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal nature, let us now kneel before the Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. I think here also is an important time to bring in something else that is often misconstrued or misunderstood, particularly, not to get political, but it's in the policy at the moment, is excommunication. Yes. Because that is what this is about. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sin, had been separated from the body of the faithful. So excommunication literally meaning from the community, removed from the community, because what were you were doing was hurting the community. Right. But also, you know, we think you're not allowed to take communion. You were removed from that, that aspect of community. But also, excommunication is not a one-and-done thing. Excommunication, historically is meant to be something, you know, what you're doing right now is hurt. It, it, you need a timeout, basically. And it's what it is. And so then when we come to Lent and Easter, and the point is those persons are reconciled. It's not about the punishment. It's about the reconciliation. Again, Forgiveness is at the forefront. Right. Um, and, and not to get political here, it is not just kicking someone out of a church. It's not a club. It is it's actually, club. It's actually a way of inviting them more deeply into the life of a church. Yes. Uh, here endeth the editorialization. Uh, Whenever we record these from now on, I think we're going to have to have little soapboxes underneath our desks just to put our feet on. You don't have one? Not yet. It should have been in the welcome packet. 
and so um, Ash Wednesday gets its name, of course, from the great smudges that appear on people's foreheads in normal seasons. Uh, I know that there were some liturgical innovations that went around this year because of COVID tide. Um, but by and large, Ash Wednesday comes about with the mark of the cross on our forehead. As, as the priest says, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Um, ashes have a long biblical uh, connotation of repentance, of, of heaping ashes on your, on your head and repenting in sackcloth and ashes. This is something that Christians did for millennia. And I mean, this, is, for, this is not even necessarily a religious thing. This is an anthropological thing. Mm-hmm. Just sit you, when you are mourning, when you are grieving, to sit yourself in the dust. Right. Um, and so that's really what the ashes are about, is about marking your mortality, is about marking your... Um, your need for God, your, your need for community, um, as, and people are of two minds about this, of what you should do with the ashes once you've received them, whether it's to slip into the church bathroom and wash them off, uh, or whether it's to wear them around and let the world see that you are fasting, uh, let the world see that you have been to Ash Wednesday that year, um, Personally, my own argument goes either way on that. Uh, I think it's you have to make your own choice about it. Um, but there have been times before I, I wear the collar that I wear now that when I saw ashes, I remembered, oh, that's right. I've got to get to church for Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Even when I was outside of the church, it was, oh, there, it's already time for Ash Wednesday. And it put me in the mindset of what Ash Wednesday was really about. Mm-hmm. Um. And Father, the so the tradition has become to put marking of the cross in ashes on our forehead. Mm-hmm. This directly relates, also putting forgiveness at the forefront. This directly connects us to our baptism as well and our entering of the community, because in our tra- in our tradition in Roman Catholicism and in uh, Orthodoxy. The um, sign of the cross is made on the forehead of the newly baptized in chrism. And so you can't see it, but you can smell it. Right. Uh, But it's in the same place. And so um, that place that you were marked as a symbol for entering into the community is the same place that we mark ourselves and saying, I've done things that, um, and it's, we have done things that should separate us from the community, but by the grace of God, I am still here. Right. Exactly. And then immediately after receiving the ashes, we get the words of Psalm 51 mm-hmm. that, that asks for God's forgiveness, asks for God's mercy to be cleansed. We acknowledge our transgressions, our sins. Um, and then, of course, in every psalm is is the turn. You know, we have the initial part where it's asking for mercy and 
and the bewailing the things that we've done wrong. Well, you get the turn uh, about verse eight, verse nine, um, depending on who's reading it and depending on who's interpreting it. But make me hear of joy and gladness that the body you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your help again. and Sustain me with your bountiful spirit. And of course, what we see in the last few verses is a pledge of amendment of life, which is the whole point of, of repentance anyway. Yes. And so they get around to, hey, wait a minute. I don't want to do that again. It, 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 this, is, this is the, okay, now it's over. I can go back to eating chocolate. This is... Oh, now I can move on and be a better person and be a better Christian and be a better member of the community. I shall teach your ways to the wicked and sinners shall return to you. I'm going to do better, God. And people are going to see that and people are going to come back to you. Because if me, as wretched as I am, will turn my life around and get things right, then it may cause people to stop and take notice. Um, that's, that's pretty powerful testimony. Um, uh, I, I, I think that the, the psalmist here, uh, is pointing to the reality that, that stopping our lives, suspending our priorities, looking at our lives objectively and saying, wow, I'm kind of a mess and I really need to get things right with God. If we as a community did those things and talked about those things and talked about the love of God that has embraced all people, Hmm. the narrative might be different. And if you haven't had enough penitence yet, this far along and you're you're hungry for more you've got uh you've got two more pages of penitence yeah i i actually have it next to the litany of penitence which is on 267 i have written in small font the words of um, mother julia in class that it is much more explicit than we usually get yes the litany of penitence, I think. Somebody check on Marion Hatchet after I say this, because he may turn over in his grave, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> should occasionally be pulled out and put in place of our normal confession, because sometimes you just need to get personal. Yeah. Because there's not much in this litany of penitence that doesn't hit home for people. Um. An additional, the, the, the initial paragraph of the litany of penitence is very similar to our general confession, which we say on Sunday. But then we start sort of putting our finger on it. We, we start turning the screws. Yeah. Well, and you turn up the light so that you can see your face in the mirror. 
Yes. This is no yes. longer a mirror darkly. This is seeing ourselves. This is, this is um, like you would for an, any illness. Like, they, they, you know, you open the blinds and you open the windows and you let the light shine in. Yeah. To purify. That's what this is doing. The, the light is getting brighter and brighter and brighter and doing what it's supposed to. So we haven't loved God with our whole heart and mind and strength. We haven't loved our neighbors. We've not forgiven others as we've been forgiven. We've been deaf to the call to serve as Christ served. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved the Holy Spirit. All our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives, our self-indulgent appetites and ways, exploitation of other people, anger at our own frustration, envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts, dishonesty in daily life and work, negligence in prayer and worship, and our failure to commend the faith that is in us. If you are not offended yet, you are not paying attention. And you know what I really want in this litany of penance and this wonderful collection of prayers? I want a good old-fashioned African-American preacher, and, and Michael Curry can do it too, but with that call and response, you know, we confess to you, Lord, all our unfa- past unfaithfulness. Yes. Yes. The pride, yes. The hypocrisy, yes. The impatient, every word like daggers. <laughs> yeah. Wake you up. The point driven home. Yes. And, oh, and we're not done by the way, (laughs) for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering, our indifference to injustice and cruelty, for false judgment, uncharitable thoughts, prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us, Mm. our Mm. waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. If you made it through the first part, you're like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Number one, your pride's already got you. But then the rest of it comes in. There's, there's nothing here that isn't touched on. And if we, if we look at it and really dive into these, which I wish we had time to do, we could see how deep this goes. We could tease this out and sort of unfold this blanket of repentance. Mm-hmm. And over all of us, over all of us as human beings, like, like if you don't think you've got problems, you're not paying attention. And, and this does for us the same thing that Psalm 51 does for the, for the writer of the Psalm. Exactly. Because at this point we have the turn. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord, bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. So we've repented of just about everything that we can think of. Hopefully, earnestly. Hopefully, we aren't just reading words on a page. And the skilled liturgist will read those, those 
those biddings towards repentance slowly and with intention and will take time between each individual verse so that people have time to think about it. Including the person saying them. Including the person saying them. Taste your psalms, folks. Taste them. They're delicious. Even the bitter ones. Even the bitter ones. Sometimes you need the wormwood and the gall. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're about to start preaching. Um, after all of those repentances, the bishop, if present, or the priest stands and facing the people says, Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires not the death of sinners, who desires not the death of sinners, hear it again, but rather that they may return from their wickedness and live, has given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardons and absolves all those who truly repent and with sincere hearts believe his holy gospel. Therefore, we beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that those things may please him which we do on this day and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy, so that at the last we may come to his eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice this is not like your normal absolution that we hear on Sunday morning. This is the full proclamation that God has, again, put forgiveness at the forefront. And I'm here just to say it out loud for all of us, myself included. Yeah, it's it's powerful that he, he... And if you're wondering who he is, look back, because it's not an indefinite pronoun. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pardons and absolves. Masculine pronouns notwithstanding. God pardons and absolves. It's God that is doing the pardoning and the absolving. For those who truly repent and with sincere hearts believe his holy gospel. Um, God, who is faithful, forgives us when we say, oh, we screwed that up. And that's the be-all, end-all. I, I think that oftentimes one of the criticisms that gets levied at Christianity and our conception of God is that God is the old guy on the cloud. God is Zeus. Yeah. God is capricious. God is angry. God is doing all sorts of unmentionable things. Although the Christian God doesn't have strange relationships with, with animals and rams and, strange women lying in ponds. Um, but often that perception that, that we've attributed long to Zeus gets laid over on God, that God is the angry guy with a beard on a cloud. 
Throwing thunderbolts at the earth. Throwing thunderbolts at the earth. Or, if you prefer, is the mean kid on top of the anthill with a magnifying glass waiting to burn off our antennae. You know. Here we are, sinners in the hands of an angry god. Yes, well, Edward's notwithstanding. We're spiders in that illustration, dangling over the flames of hell by a single strand. Um, great awakening. Don't get me started. Um, that's not the God we serve. The God that we serve is that loving parent who calls us home who waits for us to return. Who and comes more, running sees us on the road. And, and more than that, packs a bag and goes with us. Mm. I mean, I think it's real funny that people think that they can run from God, that there's somewhere you can go to get away from God. But if you turn your back and say, I'm done and walk, that God ain't coming with you. Did we miss the incarnation? Mm. Did we miss God coming to us? Did we miss the part where God stretched out his arms of love on the cross that the whole world, the whole world might come within the reach of his saving embrace? Did we miss that? Because if we did, we might want to dial it back and, and listen to that again. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God isn't angry. My, my God is calling me home. And that's calling me home whether I am a cisgendered white male. That's God calling me home. If I am a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, that is a God that is calling me home whether I have two moms or two dads or a mom and a dad, or I don't have any parents at all. That's a God that's calling me home, whether I am a perfectly healthy person or I am a person that is suffering from something like cancer or HIV or AIDS or any number of diseases under the sun. There is not a single person on this globe that God has created. Remember, God hates nothing that God has made. God loves me even when I have trouble loving myself. Kind of taking us back to what we said at the very beginning. Jesus loves me even on the days that I think I'm an asshole. There's no better way to put it. Um, and if you've not heard it from a minister before, hear it now hear it from two priests who have been serving God a while and have been talking to God for a while or listen, or listen to one of these lay people that are out there telling you that God loves you without precondition. And God wants to call you home. What happened? Did I just preach? <laughs> I like I'm leaking. Um, I mean, I, I guess we could say that there is the opportunity. It's not obligatory. There is the opportunity to continue with 
the celebration of communion, um, which I will just say points us in this act of contrition and penitence on Ash Wednesday back to general conf- or private confession and, and being returned to the community, which is why you take communion and drink and feed on the body and blood of Christ and become one again and become whole again. Because Christ loves you, God loves you so much that he's just offered himself. Even as you've gone through and said, I am unworthy, I have sinned, I am a terrible, I'm an asshole. Can we, can we get that in the new prayer book? <laughs> Lord, I am an asshole. Enriching our worship 12, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, God loves you. And that's the point. And that's the point. Of Ash Wednesday. That is the point of all of this. It's not, it's not about an angry God. It's about, it's about being loved. And love not in a pink and purple tissue paper hearts with little naked baby angels flying around shooting arrows at people. Love that loves you enough to tell you the truth. That sometimes we all get it wrong. Yeah. But God wants to make it right. Um, God, God wants to love you. God can't help but love you. God can't help but love you. I don't think we need to say anything else about Ash Wednesday. Nope. I think that pretty much covers it. So, with that, my friends, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing your journey with us. Uh, Welcome to season two of, of the BCP and me. And if this is any foretaste of what's coming this season, better hang well, on tight. I, uh, I think to, to tie it back and to close it out, we'll just say, you know, the, the title of this episode now is, can we start again, please? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. Father Joshua, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you.